betrayal. The world, the word stings, doesn't it? Not you. Not you. The word stings. Nearly all of us have the experience of being betrayed at one point or another. It usually begins really early, early in childhood. You might tell someone a secret and they blab it to everyone within earshot. Someone's nice to you when you're alone with them, but when you're in a larger group with them, they, they suddenly are mean. And as we get older, betrayal can manifest itself in other ways. Say, despite high performance evaluations, you get passed over for a promotion. Or your spouse has an affair or is abusing drugs or alcohol. A family member turns on you due to your divergent politics. We may not be entirely innocent in such situations. We may have done our own share of betraying, but that doesn't make the sense of betrayal hurt any less. Betrayal permeates the whole of the Bible, back to the garden. Both the man and the woman betrayed God by eating the forbidden fruit, and when confronted, they betrayed each other and the creation by blaming. The first murder in the Bible is a betrayal brother killing brother. Abraham betrays his wife when they are migrants in Egypt by saying, she's my sister. Jacob betrays his brother Esau and his father Isaac by stealing Esau's birthright and blessing. Jacob himself is betrayed by his uncle Laban. Joseph's brothers betray him by selling him into slavery. These are just the most egregious examples in Genesis. Just in Genesis, that first book of the Bible, betrayal is a tragic constant in the history of God's people, which is what makes this story in John's Gospel so extraordinary. Betrayal and denial are operative that last night of Jesus' earthly life. They are present in the room with him, in Judas and in Peter. And Jesus knows it. And yet he doesn't lash out. He doesn't run away. Jesus stays in that dangerous room and shows the courage to love. You may have noticed that we skipped ahead a bit in the story. Last week we heard about Jesus raising Lazarus. This was the seventh and greatest sign, the sign where Jesus demonstrated his mastery over the powers of sin and death. This is the sign that points to the ultimate purpose of Jesus' ministry, that all who believe in him should not die, but have eternal life. The raising of Lazarus points to eternal, abundant life with God. But this sign frightens the religious authorities. They don't see it as a sign of life, but as a sign of death and destruction. In an emergency meeting, some of them say, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. Do you fear, do you hear the existential fear in that? The fear of annihilation and destruction? It's, it, it's just, it permeates the whole text. Jesus has become an existential threat at least from their point of view. Yet Jesus does not run away. The Passover season comes around for the third time in John's Gospel. Jesus goes to Bethany first, 
returns to Bethany where he raised Lazarus. Mary and Martha host him for a meal, and they also host his disciples. Before Jesus goes back to Jerusalem for his final showdown with the forces of death, Mary anoints Jesus' feet with a costly ointment, an anointing that Jesus says is for his burial. It is an extraordinary, extravagant act of love and service. This act of love, by the way, shows up in all four Gospels in some form. John's Gospel is the only one in which the woman has a name. We know who she is here. And it is her courageous love, a love, by the way, that receives a stern rebuke from Judas for being seeming so wasteful that undergirds Jesus' own act of courageous love. As Mary anoints Jesus' feet, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And this is where the story is not just a sweet, tender story of divine service. It is shocking. Jesus does something that no self-respecting person in authority would ever do, ever. In the ancient Near East, water for washing would be provided for guests. A welcome gesture after a long day on foot. But guests usually did their own washing. If a householder were wealthy enough, he might have a slave do the washing. And in nearly all cases, this slave would have been female. The householder never washed someone's feet. Jesus does. Jesus, the Lord of creation, the author of life, the Word in the beginning with God, sums up his ministry in this act of love and service. Jesus comes not as humanity's judge, but as humanity's servant. As Paul would write in Philippians, Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave. But we shouldn't mistake this service for weakness or softness. Jesus is no doormat. John's Gospel makes that abundantly clear. In fact, Jesus shows just how powerful he is by this act of service. By the authority given to him by his Father, Jesus turns the whole notion of power on its head. Jesus doesn't use divine power to exercise dominance or to try to control other people. Jesus uses divine power to serve the world, a world that will reject, deny, betray, and crucify him. Jesus uses divine power to invite us into a deeper, life-giving relationship with him, a relationship that changes everything. That's what real power looks like. And it's a power marked by mutuality. We should note here that Jesus doesn't just exercise power by serving. He also allows himself to be served. Courage goes in both directions here. I want to ask another question. John asked you a question. How many of you have washed someone's feet in in a service? You, You answered that. How many of you have had your feet washed? How did that make you feel? superior. Did it? Well, John felt superior. 
charge. Has, did anyone? Did why? Yeah, yeah. There, there's another aspect. I, I know when I've had my feet washed, I'm like, ooh, I don't want anyone to see my feet. Yeah. 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 So yeah, there, there's that sense of being served, that, that maybe that sense of being superior. But there's also that sense of, ooh, I don't know if I want this person to touch my feet. Jesus lets Mary do that. Jesus lets Mary serve him. That's also showing power. That's showing sir. That's showing um, courage. Jesus not only has the courage to love when betrayal and denial are operative in the room with him. Jesus also has the courage to let himself be loved, letting Mary anoint his feet. And that can be more frightening than serving. Sometimes serving is active. We do things for others. And that's great. It's part of our call as Christian people. We ought to serve as Jesus serves us. That's great. But we're also called to allow ourselves to be served. And that can be uncomfortable sometimes. Here's an example. I learned about this last week. There's a congregation that serves meals as a part of their Sunday worship. People from all walks of life come to these meals. But there's a twist. Usually good, respectable church people are the ones who are the only ones who serve in ministries like this. They're the ones who are making the meals. They're the ones who are serving the meals. They're the ones who are washing up. Not at this church. In the kitchen, alongside respectable church folk are homeless people. People who are economically disadvantaged. It isn't just a service to. It is a service with. When newcomers learn of this, they can get really uncomfortable. After all, shouldn't those people be served? Isn't it exploitative for them to serve? Not at all. It's about dignity. It's a way of affirming that indeed we are all equal in God's sight, called to both serve and to be served, to love and to be loved. Wherever we are in life. Sometimes we can be reluctant to invite others to fulfill that part of their calling. We can be a lot like Peter, declaring, You will never wash my feet. It takes a lot of courage to let others serve you sometimes. To let others love you. So I leave you with this. Too often, power is defined as the power to do something, or do to someone or to something. I don't like what you have to say, so I try to exercise my power to shut you up. I have a bigger army than you do, so I exercise my power by terrorizing your country. Such power is not marked by courage. It is a sign instead of weakness. Jesus shows us another way, a way of mutuality, a way of, of, of love through service and through being served even when betrayal and denial are in the room. That's true strength. That is true courage. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you showed your power by, being, by serving and being served. Give us the courage to love and to be loved as you did.
ਹੁੰਦਾ ਹੈ